Hello, everyone. My name is Craig Wiseman. I'm here with Patrick McConlog. Hey, how's it going? And today we are joined on the 10th episode of the Overline podcast by a very special guest, Mr. Todd Morley. Greetings. Now I we feel have, like we should add trumpets or some kind of additional <laughs> sound. You there. know what? Uh, as, as the tenth episode, we probably should have by now had some uh, some call sound signs, effects. some bomb yeah. sounds. But uh, you can imagine those in your head. But for the rest of this podcast, we we have a very special conversation lined up with Mr. Morley. Uh, you may have heard him on the interview that went out on Bloomberg, talking about the NFT museum and his history with Guggenheim, uh, but. We're excited to sort of get into uh, a conversation from traditional finance perspective around the future of NFTs, the uh, perspective of the crypto market as a whole, and where uh, Mr. Morley thinks things are going. And on that, I'd start with something nice and straightforward that I am surprised that I didn't know much about, but I'm also shocked to see no one in the crypto space understands what in the world a bond actually <laughs> is. So Todd, I'd love to hear from you. What exactly is a bond? In its simplest form, a bond is, is a promise, right? Mm -hmm. It's a promise to do something, a promise to pay, to borrow mm -hmm. money. My, 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 my word is my bond is mm -hmm. what used to rule Wall Street. <laughs> and so it's simply a, a promise, a promissory note to pay somebody a coupon and the principal back over a period of time. So right there was that sound effect of going over my head, a coupon and a principal. Right. You know, let's, I guess, rewind a little bit back in, in time. You were talking to us before this briefly about the history of bonds. Maybe we start there and then I'd love to know what a coupon is, what a principal is. Mm -hmm. Right. So for the viewers, he, he, there's a look of disgust on his face. <laughs> the listeners, I guess. It is. It we is, need to know this, people, as an industry. It we is need confusing to learn. because you think of a, a bond, one might think of a bond as in a treasury bond. Hmm. The U.S. Treasury borrows money every month, 30 years, 10 years, five years, and so on. <clears throat> and so you have a definitive maturity and then an interest rate at which they're borrowing. Hmm. Right. So what might be more familiar is your student loan, sure. right? You borrowed a certain amount of money and the government charges you 6% sure. and you have to pay the back that 6%. And then the principal, of course, that's they're not really being paid back these days, but that's another matter <laughs> that are more, I don't know, more, more intimately, let's say the mortgage market, which is where I come from. You buy a house, you put down 30% and get a loan from a bank, <clears throat> and then you promise to pay 4% interest. So you still owe the 100000 plus 4%, and you pay that every month. So that is a bond. And when you violate that promise, then you forfeit the asset, which is being financed by those proceeds. Got it. So the, the coupon side of this, mm -hmm. the coupon would be the percentage point Yep. that I have to pay in addition to what I actually had to put down. Repay in terms of principal. Got it. Right. Got it. So you had mentioned at the beginning of your conversation, the history of the bond market. Uh, what exactly should a bunch of new finance people know first about how bonds work? 
And then, of course, we'll tie into it. And most of the viewers can probably see where we're going with this. You know, the world is going to be different from a tokenization standpoint very quickly. You know, we'll go there next. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are a lot of promises made by <clears throat> all kinds of folks from VCs to entrepreneurs and so on. And often the promises aren't lived up to. Mm. Right. And so whether it's a bond or a promise of an equity, they don't really live up to it. So one of the critical features of bonds is the credit worthiness of the person making the promise. So if you're AAA, like the U.S. government, if they can't repay, we have more of a uh, uh, an anarchy uh, type moment because if sure. the U.S. can't pay, then no one can pay. Right. So credit worthiness is really sort of the driving um, thing to think about there. And, and that too will set the amount of interest. So the higher the credit rating goes government, they will pay a lower interest than John Smith, who just tries to borrow money to fund his new car, other than the, the uh, subsidized uh, car loans from the big car companies. Um, you know, John Smith is going to pay a higher interest rate. Right. But here's a weird thought then. So layering on the NFT craze has these quote, quote, credible figures pointing at things, saying that they are a, let's say promise, but a piece of art. Mm -hmm. And now you have John Smith, same individual, seeing the credit, mm -hmm. but that credit is coming across mm -hmm. in almost new terms, you know, new financial terms. You mentioned the triple A rating. Mm -hmm. For new people, what what are these ratings? Where do they come from? Right. So we have rating agencies, Standard & Poor's, Moody's, Fitch, Kroll. And so if AAA is the U.S. government, you descend down from AA, single A, triple B, below triple B, you're below, quote, investment grade. Mm. And the whole market was created by the great Mike Milken and Drexel Burnham, which is the high yield market, the junk bond market. And that on average is probably triple C. Mm. So obviously there's more risk, less credit worthiness, even though there might be great asset coverage. And it was the amazing thesis that Mike Milken um, prosecuted is just phenomenal. And so, <clears throat> um, so a big driver here is intention, right? So if you intend to hoodwink people, even though it looks good on a piece of paper, then you know, things end badly. There are plenty of examples of people who are sort of chisters and mm. whatever. And their kind of intention was to defraud people or. Yeah. No, we know them. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so but it's, it's really about the intention. So if your intention is to pay back or live up to the terms of a contract, then if you can't, people tolerate mistakes, but it's in the light of day. It's when things are sort of swept under and people aren't really living up to their commitment, that's when you have disasters. Hmm. And so I just would suspect that in the world of the NFT art craze, that there's just a lot of bullshit out there and that people are saying it's this, but actually it's not. That's exactly what's happening. I mean, it is what's happening. I think there's also this credibility coupled with speculation creates this dangerous pricing momentum or some sort of pricing mechanism yep. that's yep. just misunderstood. Adding a little fantasy on top of those two. Yeah. Uh, but so then going back to when we first met a couple of years ago, there was an element of, I felt like I had to go back to school. But in terms of how to use this, 
this gift, arguably, this kind of technology that lets you tokenize things. Mm -hmm. If you asked these celebrities selling this NFT stuff, they'd, they'd, I mean, by their actions, show you what their answer is. But in your case, when you first started, you know, discussing tokenization strategies, we were just floored with what you wanted to do with it. Can you give us a little bit of a sample of of how you first saw tokenization emerging as a tool for creative yep. finance or alternative mm -hmm. products? So NFTs are one are one version, obviously, but it's still a contractual relationship, saying that this is effectively one of one. It's a squiggle. It's a zombie. It's a whatever, <laughs> right? And so I think that tokenization will be vastly bigger and will be this moment of sort of egalitarian, democratized access to assets. If you think about it now, individuals, unless you're accredited investors, you cannot just invest in a private equity fund or in a building. You have to go through all kinds of paperwork. When the, the, the tokenized world, right, because we can, we can offer uh, a digitized version of sort of anything, it's mm -hmm. sort of like water. You can't hold water. It's going to find new buyers. And I believe in the wisdom of people and that people, particularly young people, know the value of an up-and-coming neighborhood, say, in Brooklyn, well before the great prognosticators on Wall Street will because they're there. Sure. They see the displacement, higher rents. And so, you know, sort of like your- uh, So wait, let's drill back to that for a second. Okay. Have good intentions mm. and then- trust people with what they know. You yeah. know, am I summarizing that? Have yes. good intentions, yes, but trust people with what they know. You're going to know your neighborhood better than the next guy over. I think without question. I think without question. And so supply creates demand, right? In the same way that these NFTs were suddenly available. When you have too much demand, you get these crazy prices. But if you, you know, went into, you know, Bushwick, Brooklyn, before it started to take off, Many of the cool kids, and particularly of the crypto community, knew that that market would boom. True. But, you know, they might have only had $1,000 investable. There also wasn't a place to make that investment that would record right. the transaction. It doesn't trade on the New York Stock Exchange. And so I, th I thought that in the same way that you use that star tracker, you point your camera up into the sky and you can see what various constellations mm -hmm. and planets are, why couldn't you just point that at a building? see its capital structure and see how many shares are left and make an investment because you would say, holy shit, that thing's only, that's priced like it's half full. That's going to be half full for another month. So just so everyone knows, and we didn't have historical record at the time, but Todd says things. And I think our one <laughs> gift is that we listen. And <laughs> so when he brings up these ideas like that nonchalantly a couple of years ago, the community is about to see that idea come to fruition. The ability yeah. to hold up a device, to look at a piece of property, to see its capital stack and participate is a really big idea. And it's coming straight out of, of this vision that Todd has of the future. What does an NFT future, I guess, look like in terms of its benefits? So if we went to some of these countries that you're impacting or working in what is the average going back to john smith or jane smith what are they getting from this right so i'm, I'm not sure it would begin and end with nfts i would say tokenization 
yeah. I think will be yeah. a bigger asset class because you need fungibility. Um, I've said this many times. If 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 Tesla were a private company, it wouldn't support you know the gigantic market cap that it does. So you have to make it tradable, just like Apple and Google, mm-hmm. so that many people can participate. There are a lot of hundred dollar investors there that, on the margin, pump up the market value of those companies. But on their own, as a private company, you'd probably come out with much lower valuations. So the tradability, unlocking that liquidity premium, to me, is bigger than the NFT side of things. Now, liquidity premium, what yep. is that? And that's this is definitely one of the things that once I learned, I never looked at the crypto space this the same. So Todd in the Morley School of Economics... <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's not, that's not even a, a joke. It's a real, the liquidity premium is a fascinating way to look at assets. What is that? Oh, let's say you're, you're a, uh, a young artist and you love what you do and you're always sort of hand to mouth. Never felt like you were quote liquid, but for some reason, you know, grandmother donated this painting to you. And one day you realize it's a Picasso. Mm-hmm. We still don't feel rich, right? But you could tokenize that and allow for 50% ownership in it. It's still mm-hmm. on your wall, but now you've taken in liquidity against that. Strange. Right? And those people are otherwise not able to buy a Picasso because they're each worth, you know, 20, 50, $75 million. But now you can own $1,000 of a Picasso. Got it. And so the liquidity premium there is just the value that the asset has simply because it's liquid as opposed to something that would yeah, be. Yeah, it was unavailable. Right. Okay, and so, so if it's sitting there, you know, marked at zero on people's walls, suddenly it's not zero. Right. And the same way that a Tesla or whatever would not be valued at 700 billion. Got it. When it has net income of whatever it does, but it would not fetch that valuation. Wow, that's actually a very clean way. If I was to buy Tesla or I had to buy Tesla with a mm-hmm. single coin, what would the price of that coin be? And it would be much less than the market cap of Tesla. It just, you know, I'm not going to, if there was a $100 million coin, maybe that's what I would use to buy Tesla, but not a $700 billion coin. It just wouldn't no. exist. So the fractionalization I see. But that tradability is really important so that it allows so many more people in. And then one of the hard things to understand for people with gray hair from Wall Street is that, well, God, that's overvalued. But many of the people trading at the Robinhood crowd, they kind of just want volatility. They don't really care if it's worth six or seven hundred billion. They just want a highly sort of go-go stock that has volatility that they can trade. Mm-hmm. So if it's two trades per day, like Berkshire Hathaway, that's not so fun. Are there examples historically that you can think of where something that wasn't uh, tradable or didn't have that liquidity premium uh, all of a sudden became tradable and it revolutionized yeah. the market. Well, you get, you get the hyped up uh, media on, you know, the, the, the unicorns, right? So Facebook was selling equity at big numbers, I think to Microsoft. I recall there was one valuation like $15 billion well before they even had a revenue model. Mm. Right. I mean, Generally speaking, things aren't worth $15 billion without a revenue model, <laughs> let alone net income. True. Right. And so, well represented in the press, people can't wait to get at it. Turns out they were right if you got out at $15 billion. But right. the minute it goes out and is now tradable, so that, you know, my mom can put 100 bucks in, you know, they're not looking to make 20 times their money. If they make 
three times their money on a hundred bucks. They loved the experience during the game and 300 bucks is not going to change their lives, but it was it's almost part entertainment, part investment. True. I th- allows them to participate. I think that there allows them to participate. So to kind of recap here, and if it's not already obvious from the viewers, we're kind of taking a whirlwind tour through the mind map in Todd Morley's bond vacation strategy. So that's <laughs> that's the ride you're on right now. And you're enjoying it. <laughs> but in terms of learning, we've got good initiative as something. We have trusting in other individuals' abilities, you know, giving them ownership. And then we have... Uh, the ability to participate. So trusting that someone else knows better than you is actually a smart move in a lot of different situations. Someone knowing that Bushwick is going to be more valuable because they're near the area or friends from there is an example of humility from an investment strategy. Coupling that with the preventative nature of high-end assets that you can't touch Mm. I think has a lot to do with the consternation in the American economic model right now, where in, people feel left out. Mm-hmm. And so then when they're finally allowed to be let into things like Facebook, everyone else has already had their bite and they're finally able to touch it in a very small pool. So I, in terms of having their bite taught, what are some examples of things that you found that's like, wow, people should have had an opportunity at this? They, they don't. Well, they I mean, gosh, I think you could say that about just about every tech unicorn, right? Because to yeah. get into mm-hmm. the venture capitalist fund, Peter Thiel's of the world and so on, you have to be an accredited investor. Right. So even if you knew, you know, Zuckerberg or these guys early on, you literally couldn't get to them. You, you may not be able to check the box that you're an accredited investor, right? So... If you made that easier, being compliant, of course, with securities laws, but if you made that easier, I think you would have a herd of people who got the joke far sooner than many others. It's just a whole bunch of switched on say, younger people who are otherwise blocked from making that investment. So, <clears throat> again, compliant with securities laws. There is a, a, a demand out there and a new supply will create that demand. And it's, that's the, the concept that you'd find in that great book, The Long Tail, right? When you digitize assets, basically the 80-20 rule doesn't, doesn't apply mm-hmm. and that a supply of digitized assets, whether it's food or buildings, will find new demand. So I hope you guys are listening intently and ordering that book now. We, own a, we don't own a percentage. Chris Anderson. We're not sponsored by Chris Anderson, but well done in the book. But I guess I've seen, I have watched bankers, venture capitalists question their careers. I've watched people decide to just join whatever Todd is doing because Todd is doing it. But it, it's more on, on the lines of when was the last time a blockchain guy told you about a bond? Like we've heard these words right. before, participation. We've heard these words before, tokenization. But a bond is this massive universe that most of us know nothing about. So when you talked about supply, what are some interesting things happening around the world that are becoming bonds or that should become bonds? And that's an open-ended question, Todd. I'm not. Yeah. 
Well, look, for some context, I think all crypto assets are something like $2 trillion, you know, give or take $500 billion, which, you know, the world of, of the bond market wouldn't seem so crazy. Uh, to, total G20 <laughs> debt. I, I wish that. you guys could have seen his face right. saying this. Yeah, it's $2 trillion, <laughs> it's, really. No, but if you, if you think of G20 debt, right, the, the top... 20 economies of the world, I think their total indebtedness is something like 135 trillion. Mm-hmm. And total yeah. bond markets of the world are you know, over 200 billion, mm. corporate bonds, mortgages, et cetera. You know, so you have this gigantic class of tradable bonds. And if you added them all up on the government side, you might make one to one and a half percent right now. At pro rata, 120th of each one of those issuers you'd get about a one and a half percent yield, Hmm. right? So creating new bonds to help finance, say, the cleanup of the world, waste remediation, renewable energy, and so on, there is great evidence where you can have similar credits like a government, but paying you much higher rates of return to come into their country to actually put out real problems. And in so doing, cleaning up the world actually will show a much higher rate of return. So mapping where you're at in the conversation, we've now looped back to the power of credit when assigning value to things, but when assigning what gets to be a bond. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering here, just, and this is open, open question. How, what's your first move to clean up just the uh, NFT space let alone cleaning up the world, which it's funny, listeners, I've heard, you know, a very reasoned sound strategy Todd has for just solving <laughs> the the unclean, you know, the green complications of the world, solving it, not just ESG, not just buying tax credits right. to ultimately solve it, but solving it. But let's just drill down to that small $2 trillion market you talked about. <laughs> How do you fix it? You know, what, what's the what's the, the hole that's kind of this huge void right now? Well, I should think that the, the $2 trillion market, let's say that's mostly mostly ETH and, and Bitcoin, right? Rotating. So on some level, there's there's low to no intrinsic value there. There's amazing story and, and you know, this sort of uh, supply issues related to Bitcoin and smart contracts from, from Ethereum. But, you know, there is intrinsic value in investing in a country. And when a country wants you to come in and, and turn their old, you know, coal mine uh, power generation assets into renewable, right? One could think that selling some of ETH or Bitcoin, which you own, you know, you made 100x on it or whatever, mm-hmm. and then rotating that into sort of a cleanup strategy. He, he just made the same face he made with the two trillion thing and the hundred X. <laughs> just so you traders understand what returns really should be. Yeah, I mean now you pick up a government credit too, mm. right? Mm. And so, and then when you, as Patrick said before, when you bondify that, when you turn that relationship into a bonded relationship between the government and say the new renewable energy concept. You've picked up credit, you've picked up yield, you've picked up diversification. And the amazing thing about the, the crypto world <clears throat> is in the, the uh, 
uh, immortal words of Ronald Reagan, the Reagan doctor, with regard to the Soviet Union, he said, trust but verify. Mm, nice. Mm. Right? So you can actually trust an investment and in that through a smart contract, the market will clear something that isn't just so. So it's, it, you can monitor it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's open to all through an open ledger. And that really solves that issue of trust. And that's just a profound, profound evolution in the financial world. Do you feel like it would replace the concept of a credit rating? Or do you feel like it would open it up to a brand new form of credit rating? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. But I should think that it would, it would open up a new form mm. of understanding exposure, and particularly in the long run, mm. right? If you, if you had a stock that was insanely overpriced and the intention of the company was to get public and some social good or what have you, and that they actually didn't really live up to it, mm. that would all be knowable. Right. Right. Mm. And so you'd, you'd be able to have a fresh look at what they actually did as opposed to what they said they did. Mm. That's kind of a, a weird perspective then on enforcing transparency through quarterly filings and mm. whatnot, because yep. by the time you're able to enforce that, a lot of the band-aids have been applied so that some of these businesses, when they go public, it's, it's just ridiculous. This is such a claim that that a lot of people are going to end up, in crypto terms, holding the bag in. Right. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you had mentioned yield and diversification. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to the non, to the layman? Why am I looking for those things in my purchasing yeah. decisions? Well, the efficient market theory Harry Markowitz back in the 50s said that you should be, you know, another, blank. Another thing to research. <laughs> Get on it. Blank percentage, say, you know, 60% of your assets in stocks and let's say 40% in bonds or some derivative thereof and 10, 20% in cash. Right. And so then later we added this new slice of that allocation pie, asset allocation pie, and, and said you should be 25% invested in alternative assets. So what does that mean? It's hedge funds, it's private equity. If you invest in real estate through the tokenized world, there may or may not be fees. But when you invest in a private equity fund that's charging you 2 and 20 to get to real estate, mm-hmm. it's just a filter and it's a fee structure. It's suddenly not an alternative asset. Mm. So just to zoom out again for our listeners, and I'm sure you see why we listen so intently, but we're revolving around a central point here that there's an evolution happening in the space that NFTs are going to evolve in their capabilities. And so we're, we're, we're spinning around this premise of bondification, but we're focused on the ownership rights of an individual, the proof of an individual and the credibility on the credibility side, Todd, you know, what is, what can a layman use to evaluate things in this alternative asset group. You know, I don't know the right hedge fund to call. I just know my my one experience, you know, I, I, and it was a good one. Like, okay, that's a great place. The fees, I've never heard of that, but I definitely can't get to it. You know, I couldn't get in to the medallion fund if I tried. Yeah, so I think, you know, initially you had fund of funds and you had, hot managers, and it was a game of access. So if a fund of funds manager had access to 10 people, 
Funnily enough, like Bernie Madoff would have been one of the hottest managers to whom you can allocate. <laughs> but there was no trust uh, but verify because he wouldn't allow that transparency. So he wouldn't fit onto the blockchain, <clears throat> right? And so when you have new arbitrageable markets, volatile markets, where there's extra spread, you kind of needed those really brainy people. But as things become commoditized, like global macro, right? You get too much money and the return evaporates. So you always look for mispriced assets and then just take away all the BS on, on fee streams and calling them alternatives. It's really just a bunch of us want to buy a building in Bushwick. Mm. We know where the traffic is going, mm. right? And so the intention, of course, is the big driver there. So if your intention is not to mislead people, but we really want to buy that building and we want to make it tradable, unlocking that liquidity premium, how does that not produce a more enlightened um, group of investors and new demand that's just not there now? Wow. So really... Credit is a form of information arbitrage. Yep. I know Bushwick, and I don't need someone telling me that Bushwick is a good place. Right. Now, we're not actually sponsored by Bushwick in this either, <laughs> by the way. Just Chris Anderson and, right. and the long tail. <laughs> no, uh, but get that book, people. It's very good. In terms of Bushwick, then, you're talking about some kind of a community movement, mm. but you're also talking about ownership. Is that you know what you're off to do? Is that what you're, is that the end road of NFTs? Is some new way to build communities? I think that the, everybody can have their own interpretation, but you can have a tokenized real estate asset that makes it tradable and put my star map on it, and it's like yeah, every building is sort of like a virtual stock exchange, and I can see the capital structure. There could also be an That's NFT a very good idea aspect <laughs> of that that goes into, say, the architecture of that building, hmm. right? Or certain assets of that building, like most beautiful penthouse that's ever been created. It's one of one, hmm. right? And the architecture and the engineering is sort of the, the IP and that's sort of the, 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 uh, the intellectual brains behind the building. If you think of that as NFT, to my way of thinking, right? The tokenized asset itself doesn't have to be an NFT. It just you just want it to be tradable and allow for people to come in and trade. And so you may say, well, gosh, that's overpriced now in the building. But relative to you know your Bitcoin that you're up eight hundred times your money on, it may seem like a great diversification out of one asset and into another. Got it. And so that brings us back to diversification is. Diversification is why trade is so good, not the fact that it is tradable that makes it good. It's my ability to decide many things at once. You know, I'm asking. I'm not not sure. You know, I, at Guggenheim, we did a lot of work on this with some amazing economists. Um, and so that pie chart that I talked about, right, stocks, bonds, cash, then alternatives, if you shock the cash flows, like you just shake them up in a bag, what happens to my net worth? You don't really know because it's called an alternative. Mm. But just because somebody's charging a 2% management fee and 20% profits, uh, if all the assets were, say, bonds of a type and inflation went up, you're almost by definition underwater. 
Right. It doesn't talk about the behavioral characteristics of the assets. So we tried to break that down in, into assets that did well on the stock market did well. So of that the beta of the stock market. Mm. Um, other so, assets that so are- right here, I'm just having heard Todd's quote, theory of perpetual alpha. Mm-hmm. If you go and find his white paper on this document, if you do, which most of you probably won't, but the few that do, you will never look at the entire financial space the same ever again. You will never have a venture capitalist conversation the same way ever again. In fact, you might not have many venture capitalist conversations, but the theory of perpetual alpha is big. We can't really go into it fully here, but anyway, sorry to interrupt you, Todd. That's right. But in a nutshell, that theory is that uh, if you can get long, a long meaning invested in the concept as a financial concept, let's say the ideas behind Moore's law, Mm -hmm. right? Where you're doubling every, every uh, 12 to 18 months, to the number of transistors and microprocessors, speed and the deflationary curve of technology. If your portfolio looked like that, that means you're compounding at 75 to 100 IRR, 50 to 100 IRR, right? And the overall stock market is sort of 8 to 9% over 100 years. If you could magically get long the doubling cube of technology, mm. you'd be pretty clever to rotate from one technology to the next to the next, right? What is the new driving paradigm so, from software to social media? But what you're saying there is not necessarily one particular company, but one particular technology. Yes. Right. Can you give us an example? And so, and so I, I believe um, that, back to Perpetual Alpha, that if we can invest in clean up the world, save Mother Earth strategies, it always involves a new technology that is experiencing its own Moore's Law moment, and it's doubling and doubling and doubling. Mm. And so, therefore, you not only get what you would think is a clunky return of, you know, cleaning up landfill, but in fact, you're riding that magical doubling cube that technology predictably causes. So let's zoom all the way up to the bird's eye view here as a listener. You're walking through a new universe, this bondification universe. We've been revolving around this central theory that is that we've been getting and slowly unwrapping here. It isn't that NFTs are beyond, you know, art. It's deeper than that. It's a way that you're positioning your cash flow, but it's an understanding that participation is necessary. And then drilling down to applying that. So I don't want to think too much, Todd. I want to participate in whatever you're telling me because it's small. It's it smells like smart guy. It looks like smart guy. It talks like smart guy. It's probably a smart guy. What what is the first step of participation in these worlds where I might not know what a cash flow model is? Right. Well, the first is to let us uh, do what we're doing, which we we hope will be the first sort of institutional grades. Uh, tokenization of assets, and there you've heard it. Look at your mouse. Look around you. That's coming. Your universe should be shaking. But yeah. always with with the lens of trust, but verify. So if people are trying to hoodwink you, they might get away with it. But when the intentions are stated and it's um, embedded in, say, a smart contract, it will never change. Mm, right? I like that. And so it's auditable. It's there. There's an open ledger. So how is that not better? and the opaque 
world of just give me your money and I'll let you know how you did through time. Right. I like the uh, the Google saying, uh, the old slogan was, uh, don't be evil. Like there was a blockchain company in Silicon Valley that put up a big billboard that said, you can't be evil. No, oh, yeah, I like that. Like, uh, just transparency. Well, I guess it makes it much harder to be evil when there's a lot more transparency. Mm -hmm. But I do want to go back to that. And listeners, there is a world where you can do a better job auditing and learning about what's important. In that world, taking the first step looks like what? You know, am I going to read a, do I go learn how bond accreditation systems work? You know, I, I recall reading about Goldman Sachs and Malaysian bonds and complications, big names. Where do, where, where does this nudge, where does it first begin to crack? I think it be, I think it becomes a new and, and let's say asset investment paradigm when entrepreneurs suddenly have the ability to offer their ideas, their assets, their um, ability to execute with local, you know, indigenous people who have greater wisdom than anyone. And so when you start to have institutional size, uh, but credible assets and that people abide by these, these uh, rules of underwriting and open ledger and so on, that is going to create an absolute waterfall. I mean, every tidal wave is better than waterfall. It's just going to be an, a gigantic, it's something like two to $300 trillion of assets that need a liquidity premium that just otherwise wouldn't be there in the normal markets. They don't fit under the New York Stock Exchange. Right. So, right. so this is a whole new way to bring liquidity to those assets. So there is that your number, 200, 300 trillion? That's what you're interested yeah. in? I think the real estate market alone is is over two hundred trillion. The commercial yeah. market. So that there you go, viewers. If you want to call Todd, you better have a two hundred trillion <laughs> idea or more, and he may listen. Uh, in terms of, and I think some of the more savvy listeners might be seeing where this this universe is. You know, the mist is clearing, but in terms of these these assets where locals have better information, they understand the area. What in the world does, you know, this wall street Titan not have to do with overline, but what are these little tech guys doing in those areas? Where are you seeing wireless in that world? Where are you seeing exchanges in that world? You know, overline. And this might just be like the mouse kind of tapping the elephant. Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Well, look, there are a lot of amazing ideas, technologies that will be known to all wireless communication. For instance, there are many countries where half the population has no access to Wi-Fi or wireless. Mm. So when you're at home schooling, a whole generation gets left out because they don't have iPads. They have no way of tuning back into the system. That's fixable. And many of the technologists would say, well, gosh, we don't have the capital for that. Well, it's not true because when we turn that technology into a bonded relationship, say with the federal government of any one of those countries or states, it's like you're originating a municipal bond to finance that technology. And so people will our... quickly get what the power of the functionality of that wireless communication, for instance, would be. And actually financing it is kind of a commodity at that point. 
but so a municipal bond. Yield. I'm just chiming right. in on yeah. keywords here. What does that mean? A municipal bond? Yeah. Well, most states finance themselves in the municipal bond market. And so they get tax advantages to do that. But, you know, municipal bonds as a collective yield might be three, three and a half percent, something like that. Mm-hmm. Government bonds are sort of one and a half, maybe two percent. Right. But by bondifying, say, a new wireless communication system, it might be 10 or 15 percent. So I have the seen, same credit. I, just so people know, I have watched bankers stop put their pens down, look, uh, tighten their tie. I've seen him do it when he brings <laughs> up these numbers because if you're able to provide a bond with that kind of yield, am I using that right, Tom? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. When you can provide that kind of bond, you are completely changing their day, their yep. entire day. And so what does that mean for the little guy? I want to go back to John Smith if a banker's surprised with your idea, does that mean that John Smith is about to get a bunch more because he bought into Bushwick or he bought into, you know, Argentina? I mean, you know, what, what, what is John Smith getting out of this, even though a, a banker is interested now in this idea? Well, in, this, in the same way that the blockchain, the cryptocurrencies allowed people to have um, a currency that others would take as value, simple as something as simple as a beer membership or whatever. So it was a new form of, of, of currency. And it's obviously not ubiquitous yet, but it's, it's growing in popularity and so on. But I think too, that, that local investments are just not available. Right. And so if you have, if you live near a landfill, you know how bad that is or your children, the community, and so on, if you can invest in a real technology that actually takes that landfill and turns it into something else, a crass way of thinking of it is, you know, trash to treasure, Mm. Um, alternative jet fuels, things like that derived from landfill. Like, you would know sooner than than Wall Street about the impact of that and that you want to be part of that solution. And if you can put a thousand bucks into it and you're allowed to through compliance, you do that. So think think about that. I think every listener uh, here could imagine driving around their hometown and seeing a vacant lot or seeing something that's just an eyesore or money's been sunk into it before, nothing's happened, no general good has come out of it. Imagine if the community was able to decide not only, hey, I, I think that this could actually be something good, but maybe I could actually get some returns if I can help make that decision on what happens to this area. Yep. Which that goes back to every listener on this cast or call, every person listening has a unique advantage mm-hmm. in terms of what they know. And there's your information arbitrage. You know your neighborhood better than the next guy over for whatever reason that might be. Yet you can't participate in its growth. You cannot. These municipal bonds, they are inaccessible to you. So, Todd, is it egalitarian? The reason that you're out here, and I know that you're, you know, building a museum, so you you have your vision uh, set with legacy. But in terms of function, how big is this opportunity that you're talking about? I think, like I said, the investable universe is measured in the literally hundreds of trillions, and so let's just put a number on it. Say three hundred trillion 
of assets that have not been monetized and made liquid yet. Mm. And you compare that to roughly two trillion in the quote crypto markets, right? So one should feed the other. The more reinvestment or diversification strategies that one can offer the crypto market, the bigger and more important that market will be. And I believe that you'll keep finding very interesting supply from the unmonetized old asset world. Mm. Again, taking the local re, um, landfill that might feature lovely items like tons of plastic, like literally many, many, many tons, or discarded rubber tires. Those are all feedstock or somewhat new technologies that turn those ugly assets into clean fuel. Mm. So if we say it's clean fuel and you never audit that, then we're full of shit. But <laughs> if you say that we're going to create fuel that fits into global standards like IMO, mm. which is sort of a, a, a marine shipping standard, you take out the sulfur and so on, you've taken an eyesore that's turning into methane and you've reconstituted as, as cleaner burning shipping fuel, mm. right? And so ugly eyesore, new technology, sort of that Dublin cube, mm. you ought to have a very, very interesting investment. So, and I'd, and I'd go back to the mouse-elephant comparison here. Todd's insatiable curiosity is what brings these amazing insights into what an IMO means, which, full frankness, listeners, I did not know that, <laughs> uh, to Todd. But that's what brings him to look under this rock and investigate what, what this is, overline it, itself as a technology, but not as overline, but as the technology and what it does. What I want to, to clarify here is something in your many set of ideas. And these ideas I've, I've watched turn into fully completed, you know, empire level projects over the years of, of learning from you, I'd say apprenticing or whatever you want to call it. But what's a cool one? What's a one that, that a user can wrap their head around? Like, some of the things that I've heard were, hey, we're just going to go ahead and buy all the ships. And when Todd says he's going to buy <laughs> call all the ships, you. that's a real call <laughs> and a real conversation. We could, oh, all of the ship, not, not one of them. Uh, what's something that a user can get their head around in, in these unbondified assets? Yeah. Well, if you take shipping, for instance, you may or may not be able to, because <laughs> shipping is volatile and they can be cheap at certain times and rich at other times. But if you just think about all the ships of the world that have such a profound impact on global trade, right? They generally burn the, the, the ugliest, the lowest bottom of the barrel diesel fuel, sure. right? So if you can see a new feedstock like rubber tires, plastic, maybe even coal, and through pyrolysis technology, turn that into cleaner burning liquid fuel, you've now taken the waste and turned it into treasure, mm. right? So you don't need to own the ships. You can have a cleaner fuel supply for them. So this is the you technology you're the, talking about. Yeah, you get rid of the, the local ugly eyesore, and you've turned that into, you know, a 30-year relationship of taking the trash out and having local people invest in it and turning it into cleaner burning fuel. That would be a gigantic step forward for humanity. And that's, there's no fantasy on the technology that does that anymore. Wow. So right there, 
the first, let's, let's apply your philosophy to that. You've introduced a new technology to us, this method that would impact all of shipping. Yep. Now let's follow the Todd thesis here of trust. Okay. But yep. verify what's the first step that I would take to either tokenize this or make it more transparent for the, for the, for the John Smiths of the world, for the Patrick McConlogs of the world to participate. All right. So if you, if you think about that, that concept, so you have supply, you know, gigantic, ugly eyesore supply of landfills and plastic and tires and sort of the symbol of, of decay from the, the, the industrial revolutions. And you say that it's not so hard to put that through a pyrolysis technology and to have offtake arrangements with pipeline companies, shipping companies, and that you don't need to wonder if they actually did it the right way and they actually did remove sulfur, for instance. Mm. It would all be there. It's auditable. It's an open ledger. And you would actually know that that's what is, in fact, happening. Mm. But when you have you know, a 30-year contract to deliver a liquid fuel and that that is guaranteed by, say, a government, a single AA credit, you now look at yield profile of single A and double A bonds, and you're going to pick up gigantic yield premiums by simply funding what is right on the earth and the economy, you're going to have major, major yield pickups. Okay. So are you listening? Did you under, did you, you didn't understand that last couple of sentences, but like, are you listening? listening Rewind again and listen to exactly what he just said, because that is, that is the perpetual alpha theory in its, in its earliest or in its smallest state that I've heard yet. But let's just kind of break that into pieces. We have this pyrolysis process that you're saying should be more auditable, verifiable by incorporating some level of blockchain technology. Yep. And then it's accessible from an investment standpoint because I am sure there are at least 10 people listening to this right now who have expertise and are saying, this is a real thing. And they don't need a credit agency to, to tell them what level of real that is. Yep. If I, am I going to a blockchain here? Am I, are you saying, I'm going to take every smokestack emission and I'm going to store it on a distributed ledger? You know, what is this universe you're talking about? And I'm sure some people are excited. Well, it's some version of that, which is where Overline comes in, because we can ad- identify these in a weird way, these cheap assets, but mm. we still need that execution to digitize the asset and so on. This is why I think fungibility, the tradability through tokenization is so important. And then the accountability, right, with open ledger and so on. But there are countless assets that will fit into this concept, and people would rather invest in things that clean up the world let alone do that and, you know, make 15% instead of 3% when both are guaranteed by the same city or state. So exact same credit profile, one cleans up the world and you get a higher yield or one sort of doesn't and it's just funding the local government and you have a much lower yield. Right. So I'm pretty obvious choice. I'm going to take the listeners back in time for a moment to an early conversation we had when Todd was basically shredding something that we had thought would be a, a good round or an investment thesis. <laughs> and he, he was shredding it politely. It's not like he was doing it meanly, just cutting apart. That is not how you go do this. But 
during that time, he was describing what kind of powers an auditable multi-chain could have and that a multi-chain is really just a collection. It's an idea machine that's capable of adopting new ideas quickly and then creating a ledger around those ideas. So if you look at a multi-chain, which is Overline, it consumes multiple different blockchains. But if you delete the word blockchain, replace it with idea, it consumes multiple different ideas and it makes them all auditably recordable. So to apply this to the to the listeners, we're sitting there getting schooled in bond theory, <laughs> but we're also starting to see, okay, that's what he means by the multi-chain theory is, is very limited in how you guys are defining technology. We need to completely rethink how we're doing this and focus on the flexibility of the platform. Yep. But I'd like to go back to your perpetual alpha theory because there's two parts to this. One was the great idea. Two was the auditability. But three was this premise of an, an external government. We know there are people from lots of different governments learning as much as they can about this space. What are we able to tell them about how they can plug into this, this amazing engine to, to help their country? Well, I think the, the first part of that, you know, is, is creating the tradability and audibility and all those sorts of things. It's slightly akin to, say, the New York Stock Exchange, which in 1818 featured zero stocks. And by the end of 1818, approximately, there were maybe three bank stocks, two of which were issued by um, Alexander Hamilton, one being the Bank of New York. So in that sense, it was better to own the bank than the exchange. Todd has a savant level memory for people who are sad <laughs> about their education, by the way. It's not your fault. So, so through time, it became important to own the New York Stock Exchange, right? Because there's just a lot more content. So if you just think about this way to connect the digital world, Overline would be a great example of that. The more amazing assets that we can feature in that world to trade, intention is not to swindle people. It's trust but verify. It's open ledger. Um, now you can merge many assets into that sort of multi-chain concept. And but, so I think I we're just to... at the very, very beginning of that. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, so I want to, I'm back to being the mouse here, kind of looking up with, okay, one of the reasons that I felt good about my purchase in the, in the pyrolysis, I'm not saying that I am, but I'm, I'm taking this hypothetical example was that I knew you were mentioning there were relationships with these governments where there were commitments to that process. Can you explain what that means from a contractual side of things? Like if I'm investing in this paralysis, but I understand that a government's committed to it, you know, that's promised some level of something to it. What does that mean? It could, it could be governments. It could be corporates. So if a technology works and, you know, there've been many green technologies that famously didn't work and billions were lost. If something works, you can't take our word for it or venture guys or whatever. You need third-party engineering groups mm -hmm. to verify that it's sort of like issuing uh, a warrant, a warranty rather. And so once done and you've got a relationship on the supply, you would think that people would give you their ugly tires. It's actually you have to contract that. Mm -hmm. People have figured out that there's some value in, in trash. And so weirdly, it's hard to get control over the over that feedstock, if you will. 
but a government might may help you by granting land or permits or tax breaks or what have you. And then you might create clean fuel and sell it back to the government or sell it to say a private or even a public company pipeline company or directly to shipping. So you have a guaranteed quote offtake. So how does that offtake help John Smith? Just taking it back to like well, that me can, as a regular guy. That that price of the offtake guarantees the yield. Mm. Right? So if your supply you know, of tires costs you a dollar and your net profit is say two dollars, that's a very high return. But really you've got the exposure of guarantees from creditworthy parties. So picture the other listeners of this call right now. We're all in the same kind of boat together, hopefully floored by <laughs> this this insight. But notice that feeling that you now have in your in your head or in your heart that realizes, wait a second. Imagine not having to rely on some white paper and an unknown founder, but an actual local government saying, "Hey, this has right. a guarantee." Yep. And, it's just a lot better feeling. It's a, it's better for the little guy, regular folks, me and you, who would want to learn these things. But now you have a little bit more cushion before you take this this red pill, blue pill. I think it's the blue pill is the one you're supposed to take. I can't recall. <laughs> but whichever one, it, it's the Todd pill. Okay, now that you're here, now that they're listening, Todd, What's the next step for them to learn? Are they subscribing to the Milken Institute? You know, what, how do I, I, I assume every, at least we made a couple of people go by the long tail, mm -hmm. Chris Anderson. <laughs> the Milken Institute is amazing. So that would certainly be one, one so place. Go, people. I think just reading, there are a lot of great books out there that call BS on, on a lot of the stuff that, that people just buy into because of the hyperbole in the media. Media exists to sell advertising and newspapers and so on. So the more bombastic so wait one a second, can people be. Just listen to that last sentence right there. He cut out all of the <laughs> world of media. Media <laughs> exists true. to sell advertisements. He's, it's absolutely true. Now I just get to have the right. veil taken off. The more hits you can get, the algorithm says, keep selling that. And there's there a, there's go. a, there's a book for that too. The attention merchants. Todd, so Todd are you saying that things like Google might not be as not evil as they claim? <laughs> It may not be. In other words, the, 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 the uh, algorithms are, are taught to keep sending mm -hmm. content when you get hysterical response. Mm -hmm. right? it's, the old, it's the old, I think it was CNN or one of them years ago said, if it bleeds, it leads. So keep finding things that wow. bleed, right? Yeah. But when you think about that, that's incentive driven, right? You can predict behavior based on incentives. So if you were, say, you know, John D. Rockefeller in, in the 1800s, he had no incentive to clean up his local versus his refining company. There was no use for, say, gasoline. It was too too volatile until Henry Ford came along. So he had incentives to dump gasoline mm. into the river. Whether he did that or not, I don't know. But the point is, like, there was no market use for gasoline. So he made more money by just disposing of it, mm. not really thinking what that might do. In other words, like... It, it just may have been unenlightened. He didn't know that dumping that in the river may be a bad thing. Again, I'm not speculating on John D. Rockefeller. <laughs> but if your incentive now... is that Todd is the kind of guy who does. <laughs> is that a good man? Who knows? But No, but, you know, if you... if you, I mean, the guy's done amazing things 
for the world and philanthropy and so on. Um, but you know, if the if if you say, well, okay, there are incentives to um, not observe, you know, cleanliness and and stewardship of the environment because you made more money. What if now, with all of this heightened awareness, we show an investment thesis that with new incentives, cleaning up the work of the first and second industrial revolutions was a higher return. And so mm. you should have financial incentives to apply new technologies to big messes, and you will be amply rewarded. I believe you'll always outperform stocks and bonds. So mm. pause here, IQ test. Where do you, what do you think Tan is going to use his NFT museum? If knowing all these ideas, and I'm about to ask him, you know, what kind of things do you want to put in an NFT museum? But knowing everything you've just heard, can you guess what he's about to say? 10 points or not 10 IQ points, but <laughs> at least you've confirmed your IQ status. If you can guess what he's going to say, how the, and, and I don't want to dive. I know that that's a mega project and under a lot of wraps, but uh, can we give them a flavor sure. of what you'd want to show in this historic, you know, the Morley NFT museum? Yeah. So whatever my ideas are, might be great. They may not be, but they should be different. And the amazing thing too, about this ability to connect um, to, to digitize the crypto world is that those people would have an ability to come to us and say, this should be in a museum, mm. right? And so if you think about a museum, Guggenheim was amazing at taking a building concept, right? Frank Gehry creates a twisted titanium spaceship, ups it into Bilbao, Spain. The building itself is art. Mm. Is that NFTable? I would say so. But yeah. then you fill it with, you know, paint on canvas, call it art right and so that's cool but another way of thinking about that is that it's a cultural icon that produces a lot of positive energy and in fact it served as sort of this radial power to create a whole city around it so if you're a government official you're hearing wait a second i can help with cultural icons and you're absolutely right the center of your city is the heartbeat of it. I, I, you know, and I, I want to dive into that NFT museum statement there because I hadn't even thought of it that way myself. Think about going to a museum right now. You had no say in what you see on the walls. Right. And so in Todd's model, you're, you're able to have some say. I'm able to close my eyes. And then I, when I open them, I'm looking at the first thing yep. in the Morley NFT museum. What do I see? Think about it this way. So museum, as we think of it, is a place to go to look at amazing ideas or the history of nature mm -hmm. or the history of mankind and photography and whatever, right? And so we think about that as something that you hang on the wall, but it all starts with human thought, right? This is an expression of creatives, of geniuses, of yeah. artists, of whatever. It's human thought, right? And so if you can sort of bottle that human thought, and maybe that's sort of the NFT side of things, those people had amazing, amazing effects on the world because they're expressing many things, including, you know, protesting 
Picasso famously protesting, you know, Franco bombing his own countrymen. Right? It became this huge political statement, which itself, idea, it's his own sort of intellectual property. And he had this insane ability to put that into an abstract painting mm. that kind of rattled the world. Oh. Right. But it begins with hu- human thought. So, what other ways can we, you know, safeguard human thought? A lot of incredible geniuses get their ideas stolen. Right. Tesla himself famously. Yep. I'd bankrupt, right? Because everybody stole his ideas. I believe that. Which is amazing because uh, I bet you the first thing everyone thought, myself included, when Todd said the word Tesla, he thought, or I thought, car. Right. And <laughs> in reality, even the man's name stole it. You know, there's a. Yeah, there's no, there's no royalty to Nikolai Tesla's foundation. Maybe there is. I don't know. But mm. the point is that, you know, so NFT. Todd's texting Elon now. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, <laughs> NFT, um, you know, what is art? What are ideas? How do you use this ability for expression? I think is far more profound than simply, you know, using the NFT concept on, say, CryptoPunks. No dissing the CryptoPunks, but it's just like that's a version. That's cool, but it's going to grow into many more ideas the paralysis concept that you were talking about earlier with the ships and and doing good for the community yeah. and having that incentivized by the government how do you see that interacting with an nft museum okay so oh, let, to question. be clear it's it's pyrolysis paralysis great correction <laughs> <laughs> we're not endorsing paralysis um and Although so, maybe some listeners are just stunned to the point. They're so listening they, in paralysis. Yeah, paralysis right. yeah. You should be. If you're, if you're not, you don't understand what's going on here. Start with Perpetual Alpha right. as a white paper. It'll, it'll completely change your perspective on things. Well, if, you, if you think about you know, landscape painters, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know, it's the intention to capture the, the sheer beauty of Mother Nature, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know... We, we, we tore down paradise and put up a parking lot, right? And so being able to show what that after effect is, that's pretty profound. Wow. And so if you said, wait a minute, we want to restore mm. what Turner might have painted. Mm. And so with intention and with that sort of auditable uh, idea chain, you might call that an NFT to restore mm-hmm. nature that might have been abandoned into a parking lot. So there you have the, it. The IQ Joni test. Yeah, well, the, the IQ test close. Did you guess that Todd was going to put all of shipping into the <laughs> NFT museum? <laughs> <laughs> if you did, good job. Well, look, but it's it's just sort of unlimited. And that's why I think it should be a great two-way flow. It's not up to me to populate everything. We want all the ideas of the world. Like, what do you think is NFTable? So how do I organize that? And when you first told me the concept of the this pedestal of thought where you know slowly I began to study these theories behind like the attention economics. But how do you organize this is the Morley NFT museum. These are the things that we can show in it. Like are you thinking and I know that this idea is very real in the physical sense but it's still being played out in the token economics sense or the coin dynamics. Am I, am I buying a part of this, sh- this shipping line? Are you envisioning that or are you envisioning 
am I voting for the presentation of the shipping line to become a part of this this exhibit for a period of time? And and this is a genuine question. I, I don't yeah, know great, the answer. Great question. And I think that, you know, whatever we think, it'll probably be wrong. And so, you know, democratizing that voting, for instance, seems like an obvious and sensible thing. But yeah. we have to begin with a, a list of ideas that already extend beyond simply art, right? So whatever that art is in squiggly form or old masters, it begins with human thought, right? It begins with human expression. I particularly like sort of contemporary art that that has a lot of protest attached to it. Mm. So these are political moments, but they just happen to be expressed on canvas through paint. Right. Wow. So is that art or is that actually a political protest against some horrible thing that's happening in somewhere? Yeah. Wow. So I, I want to organize this all back to the beginning of the conversation, which is the, this bondification path that we've all been on ends up at democratize access and exposure to things that you know you're good at, allowing you know, the word has been tainted manifest destiny, but like allowing you to own your own land was a big deal Mm. as an Mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. The big deal in this idea, and I'm just going to be frank, is not overline. Overline is a, is a line to these big ideas. Yep. And so what I wanted to to clarify for the, the user is that overline ultimately disappears. It is an evolutionary technology but it ultimately fades into these communities as a way to conduit capital and access into these local environments. Mm. But what I'd love to share with the viewers or listeners is what, when you're going back to John Smith, how are you making his day a little bit better anywhere in the world? You know, pick a guy, pick a, are we, are we taking an NFT museum and we're letting him, you know, go to a website and buy that? Are we bringing a Guggenheim museum somewhere on the universe? You know, what's going on? How are we, is John going to see a new museum on his block or is he going to see ships, you know, that have lighter coal? And maybe the answer is all of the above. Yeah, I think my answer is yes. (laughs) Just yes. And so as opposed to, you know, trading crypto kitty, we ought to be able to have things that are a little bit more stimulating Mm. and speak to cutting edge technologies that actually have some purpose to them. Mm. Right. So ESG is, is sort of a way for big asset managers to, to market sort of the way the mutual fund companies created the term alpha Mm. simply just means actively managed so they can charge a higher fee. Right. So if our intention is to clean things up and you can keep showing things that are cool relevant, like an NFT museum, a place to store intellectual property, um, insights, and so on again, art beginning with human thought. I really think that we're on on the verge of sort of a, a new version of the Renaissance, where you have this sort of financial community, the, the, the House of Medici, sponsoring art, ideas, architecture, historians, poets, and so on, to come together and have a voice to do different things just shake up the world to do things in a better way. Again, by offering them incentives through amazing new technologies that 
do things literally as simple as cleaning up the world. The House of Medici, the new renaissance, <laughs> is the content of the next uh, conversation with Todd and ultimately the announcement to the world. We've been working for a long time as the evolutionary technology of Todd's ideas, where Overline bringing wireless audibility to a lot of different things will be a thing. But I want to go back to the, in closing, I want to go back to how this makes your life different as you, the listener, not some hypothetical game. One, we made some claims about Overline, and I, I hate selling stuff that we don't have. So when we, we don't tell you exactly what an Overline node can do beyond its wireless trade because you need to hold it in your hands. Mm. When you see the NFT museum and we say that you can own a piece, you need to be able to own a piece, not us describing that hypothetical future to you. That's because you will always make better decisions when you are informed, when you understand the scenario. So Todd, in closing, just in general, and I had the same feeling that I had, and this is a real, I felt like reading the drafts of his Perpetual Alpha paper, I felt a little bit like Hal Finney when he got to see some early looks at the Bitcoin white paper. We're like, wow. I mean, I'm not comparing myself to Hal Finney, but I, I felt like that might be how he might have felt. Mm. When, so the Perpetual Alpha paper completely shifts the way that ownership of assets looks like. But what in in any, you know, disconnected from anything we talk, we talked about, if someone also has insatiable curiosity, what should they go learn? What's the most important thing they go do after this, after hearing this? Number one, be exceptionally curious, right? And in our, in our next discussion, we'll come back with the list. But I think the overall thrust here is that you know, people are angry, beginning with the millennials, like, thanks for fucking up our world and handing it to us. Yeah. But when they realize that this is the most intense investable moment, maybe in history, right? That, that impotent feeling of anger and yelling at the, the, the nightly news, suddenly here's an active, an active mechanism for people to get involved, get off the couch and be part of the solution rather than just yelling at the TV and, screaming at, at the problems of the world. This is actually a, a, an actionable item. And as we start to reveal some of these ideas, I think people will see it very clearly. Wow. Lovely. Wow. Well, thank you, Todd, very much. I mean, I'm floored. So uh, <laughs> I, I hope that listeners enjoyed this as much as we did. Indeed. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. That was the Overline podcast. Tune in to listen to us weekly or follow us on Twitter at Overline Network.